You know, 10 months ago, we made a decision to redefine our direction. We knew there would be ups and downs this season. We knew that we would encounter some things that were going to be difficult, and we did. Uh, with that said, I think we're in a, a better place today than we were at this time last year. And I think we have an opportunity to grow as an organization starting today. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Levine, he goes right. Oh! Stop it, Samson! Did you not get the memo? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Here's Cantor. What are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. We're going to preach patience. It doesn't mean we're not going to be looking for ways to get better, but a lot of it's going to come internally. We need Zach Levine to be a better basketball player. Chris Dunn to come back a better player. Lowry Markkinen, Bobby Portis, you go down the line. They have to put in the time and confident that they will. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Like I said at the beginning, I feel better today about our, our direction and our position than I did a year ago. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern at 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and host of the 312 Show on AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at LockedOnBulls. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash LockedOnShyBulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. We had a fantastic mailbag yesterday, so if you missed that episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly suggest going back and listening to it. So we, we had some fantastic voicemails. So if you want to continue to leave that for us, text messages and voicemails, that's at 331-979-1369. All right, Matt, to kick off the show, though, I, I there's a couple corrections I want to make on today's show because I noticed this from not only people on social media, but also from uh, some of our texters. So late last week, we were talking about the Drew League and we were talking about Denzel Valentine and how he was getting cooked and... Um, me being very lazy and I didn't I just skimmed over the video and skimmed over the tweets and it all made sense it was like this guy's at was NY nitty so I figured okay make the connection that this guy getting this guy cooking Denzel Valentine it's probably Frank Lukina so I said that on the episode actually it's it's actually just a random guy like a a nine to five working job kind of guy that just goes out and balls and absolutely destroyed Denzel Valentine so I just wanted to make that correction so it wasn't actually the Knicks point guard that that makes it worse right that yeah, it, that that it wasn't it an NBA player, but just some random schmo. <laughs> it makes it ten times worse. Hey, like, hey, you know what? It's fine. The Bulls aren't paying Denzel to play defense. All right, like whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and we didn't even ex- like if you're expecting if you thought Denzel Valentine was a good defender last year, then I uh, I've got some questions for you as far as your NBA and your basketball IQ goes. So and I how just that lobotomy make- is going. <laughs> I wanted to make that correction first. Um, before we get into a bunch of stuff on today's episode, we're going to go into length about Lowry Markin and what do we expect him in year two, because we feel like we've kind of gotten away from him in the last couple of weeks with Zach Levine and Jabari Parker and talking about both of those players. So we wanted to have an in-depth conversation of just not only what other people think around the league of what he's going to do in year two, but maybe what Matt and I think as well. Uh, there was one other thing too, Matt, that I wanted to make a correction on. So I don't know if you know who Andrew Sharp is. Andrew Sharp writes for Sports Illustrated and fantastic writer. And I'll be honest with you, when I picked out this piece, and it was about the Washington Wizards, uh, when I picked out this piece, I was like, okay, I'm not really that interested in the Washington Wizards or what they're doing, but I figure I'll I'll see what's going on here. And he absolutely torched the Wizards. And I wanted to start with uh, canceling the whole idea of trading for John Wall, because I just want you you and the listeners to listen to this. The story of the disappointment begins with John Wall. He signed the richest contract in franchise history, called himself the best two-way guard in the league, showed up out of shape, called out his teammates, 
told reporters he planned to be the best shot blocking point guard in NBA history. He follows that with three question marks in parentheses. Got hurt, played no defense, and was statistically speaking the laziest player in the NBA. He also started a war with J.J. Barea and lost. Continued playing long enough to sign a shoe deal and make the All-Star game. Then missed most of the final three months of the regular season. After a six-game loss in the first round of the playoffs, Wall took to the podium looking like Supermax Janis Joplin and explained that next year's improvement would be up to the front office. That is an absolute torching in a less than a hundred words of John Wall and his character. And like the entire article is fantastic. Go over to Andrew Sharp and read his analysis of what's going to happen with this Washington Wizards team, even if you don't even care about them, because it's fantastically written. But uh, my point here being is uh, let's stay far away from John Wall. How about do I'm pretty sure anytime John Wall has come up on the show, I mean, and you talked to I think we were talking about it yesterday as like a, maybe a, if you add a John Wall or a Dame, does that move the needle for this Bulls team? I said it then and I've said it before. I've always thought that John Wall is overrated. I have never had great respect for his game, especially considering in kind of the stuff that you were just saying in that sharp column, how highly he thinks of himself and how he sees himself as like one of the best two-way guards in, in the NBA. And I've just always believed that to be flat wrong. And I'm glad that somebody out there took took a few minutes to cook him because he deserves to be cooked and I and I again I I don't want the Bulls to have anything close to do with John Wall maybe maybe more so than Jabari and we all know how I feel about Jabari I love him (laughs) the uh the John Wall contract his supermax is going to go into effect next year which will make him one of the highest paid players if not I think the highest paid player in the NBA as far as long term deal goes that's laughable yeah like 28 years old has some knee issues you don't know how long those are going to actually stay up he's going to be in his prime like people are already talking about he's on like the opposite side of the hill as far as where he was coming up in his prime his peak of his career and now he's kind of on that back side of it so yeah I, I don't think I would like to entertain the idea as much as I like to go back and watch early John Wall and him just absolutely destroying people and and when he gives when he gives two shits about playing defense he's what I thought he was one of the best defenders in the East as far as the guards go uh, early on his, in his career. But yeah, just reading that, though, that was an all-timer this summer. Um, but that's not what you came here for, obviously, as the listeners are are here for Bulls content. So let's get into this Lauer marketing stuff. So Matt, first, first question I have for you is uh, one of the main themes I think I'm getting from Bulls fans that disliked the Jabari Parker signing was that they feel like it's going to take away from production and overall shots taken by Lowry Markkinen. Uh, I want you to start there. Let's start there. Do you feel like that's going to be a problem between Markkinen, Levine, and Parker trying to figure out who's going to get shots if that's a problem with Fred Hoiberg? Uh, do you see that early on as being a problem? Because it doesn't seem like Lowry Markkinen really sees a problem with it. Well, yeah, well, and we got that quote from Markkinen in the Zach Lowe column that was all about the Bulls that came out this morning. If you guys out there listening have not read that yet, go do that immediately after listening to this podcast because it's a, you know, Zach Lowe always has great uh, X's and O's evaluation of, of NBA basketball, and he really took this Bulls team to task as far as what the ceiling of this of this team is and how those guys can coexist. But there was a quote in that low column from Markin and saying, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I am, personally. I, I mean, that was one of the big reasons why I was not in love with the Jabari signing because I want to see Markin and continue to develop his game particularly on the offensive end, in his second season, I don't want Markkinen to just be nothing but a seven-foot three-point shooter. And he said similar things himself. We've already seen him bulking up that frame, adding muscle to his body this offseason, because clearly he plans on being a guy who can take advantage of mismatches in the post, work from the post a lot, and get buckets in that sense, and also adding muscle to body his way when he's putting the ball on the floor. I, I, I believe in Markkinen's ability to do all of that stuff. And it's not only my concern that, well, okay, with Jabari, you have another offensive first mind on the court, but along with Zach Levine, you have another guy whose basketball IQ right now I don't think is all that high. 
And I talked in yesterday's show or whenever it was about some of those instances on the floor when Levine and Parker or when Levine and Markkinen were playing a two-man game last year and Levine just totally missed on seeing open spots to, to either feed Markkinen a ball when he had a mismatch or kick it out to Markkinen when he was wide open. I see similar potential problems existing and cropping up now with Jabari Parker. And I'm sorry, if Markkanen's field goal attempts go down in his second season as opposed to going up, I am going to be pissed off about that. Yeah, I highly doubt that they're going to go down. I think about... They might. They were like at like 12 and a half, I think, last year. Yeah, it was 12.9 attempts last year. Okay, yeah. So, and now you're adding Jabari Parker. Tell me how... Markkinen's field goal attempts stay the same when you're adding another offensive player like Parker to this starting five. Well, think about it. Like, Justin Holiday was chucking up 11 shots per game. Robin Lopez was taking 10 shots per game. So take both of those players. Like, that's 21 shots on average in a game uh, from two guys that started for the majority of the year last year. So you redistribute those among, I think, Levine, Parker, and Markkinen. Like, I don't think there's going to initially be a problem. Like, and even look at Chris Dunn, too. Like, Chris Dunn's shots were nearly 13 per game last season. If you take a little bit of a dip from that, that we're talking about like 23, 24 shots from the starting lineup that you could potentially distribute among three guys. So, to me, I don't see a real problem right away. Like, for me, I don't want to make it a problem until it actually is a problem. And it seems like Lowry Marketing, like you had said in his quote, he said, like, I hear all these people talking about how there's only one ball, but he's like, I'm not really that worried. So if if Markkinen's not worried about getting his shots off and developing his game, then I feel like as fans, maybe we shouldn't be as worried. Okay, that's a, that's a fair point. That's a fair point that you just made, but I would follow it up by saying that it's... It's not just the redistribution of shots and the fact that you can not worry about that when talking about, all right, well, Holiday's not going to be shooting that much and maybe Rolo doesn't put up 10 shots you know, a game from, from in the paint. To me, it's – and this is goes back to what I was saying about basketball IQ. Levine and Parker are both going to present a challenge for Fred executing his offense the way he wants to execute it. And there was another great detail in that low piece about how you know Fred's rule – Coming into this season is half a second, half a second between getting the ball and either taking a dribble, passing, or shooting. We don't want any of this standing around ISO. All right, let's size up who, who's guard me and see what I can do here. We saw we saw the ball get stuck with Levine at times last year when he was trying to create um, in the instances where Chris Dunn was playing off the ball, and it didn't go all that well. I see a similar problem cropping up with Parker, who at times in Milwaukee had that same problem of being like a guy who took too long to figure out what he wanted to do offensively, whether it was, you know, call up a screener and go dribble one-on-one or drive and kick, whatever it was. He is slow in his decision-making, and it's going to make running Fred's offense more difficult, and Markkinen, I'm concerned, will will falter because of not not falter but will lose out on certain opportunities because of that you have another guy who's going to make the ball stick in an offense where the ball is not supposed to stick see I have the opposite problem I think I'm more worried about Levine being more so the the guy that wants to slow things down that wants to play isolation I look at Jabari Parker's isolation numbers over the last two seasons only 9% of the plays that he ran for buckets were in isolation. So I look at that, and shout out to one of our listeners for bringing that up, too, when we were talking about the difference between Levine and Parker and needing the ball in their hands. Parker's actually, I think, a way better off-the-ball player offensively than maybe fans, and I was even giving him credit for last season. He even said that, too. He's he's quoted saying that, like, I had to learn in Milwaukee to play off the ball at times, and he said, I think I feel comfortable and I'm happy with doing that now. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that he wanted to do that. And he also in that low column had a quote about how he was not happy that he was not a focal point offensively for the Bucks and the tail end of his tenure there. And the reason he wasn't is because Giannis Antetokounmpo had this insane leap to being arguably a top 10 player in this league. I mean, not even arguably. He is top 10 right now. So Parker had to take a back seat because there was a guy on his team much better than he was. I don't. I don't think Parker's going to come into this Bulls roster and say, "Well, all right, I'm going to I'm going to cede my touches to Markinen or to Levine because they're clearly the the alpha here." We don't know who the alpha is on this Bulls roster, and I think Parker believes that it can be him. So I don't take anything about what Parker's ISO numbers in Milwaukee uh, meant 
and and correlates to any value or significance coming into this bull season. You're you're comparing apples and oranges. I com- I completely disagree. I don't think I'm comparing apples and oranges at all. Like I get it. You're, you're playing with a top five, top ten player in Milwaukee and Giannis. Having to learn to play next to a guy like that and play off the ball, I understand what your point is about him coming here and wanting to get his, especially realistically only being on a one one year contract. But I can he's on a that. prove it deal. Like he has motivation to go out. Th- there and get buckets and that's basically what he said he's like i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna score i can flip that on on its head though and say what happens in the first two months of the season if jabari parker just is terrible offensively not consistent shooting he's gonna have to find a way to be better in other areas in order to get a contract for next season because if he's terrible this year who's gonna give him more than 20 million dollars next season like people are gonna question whether or not he can actually fit into a roster like this is his tryout not only for the bulls long term but i think for the other other nba teams too if it doesn't necessarily work out here in chicago so the fact that i think we're pinning jabari parker as a me first guy i don't know if i can 100 percent give that put that on him the same way that people want to put the me first thing on zach levine I think it fits on Parker better than it fits on Levine from what we've heard. I will agree with some that. Of, some of Parker's comments about his time in Milwaukee are not great. They don't come across all that well. He definitely has more me first kind of sounding quotes than the Levine has. I will agree with that. And that's why I said yesterday on yesterday's episode that I felt like it was unfair. And, and here we are. I mean, talk about <laughs> Parker stealing the spotlight. We started this conversation talking about what we want to see from Lowry Markkinen in his second season. And here we are talking about Jabari friggin' Parker. I know. Oh, yeah, but he's not going to steal the spotlight or anything. Okay, let's get back to Markkinen then. So one of the things that I think to look at Markkinen's game, uh, would you agree or disagree with me this year that an important part of him developing his game is to try to work the inside this year? I know we talked about how he's a pure shooter and like he showed that last year for the most part in stretches in games where he can knock down the shot. But I think as far as developing his overall game and as a player, I'd like to see him work it offensively, like especially if his frame is built up in the pictures that we've seen. looks like he's added a ton of muscle. I think he's going to try to develop himself into in into a post game, a little bit of a mid-range game too as well. I don't need Lowry Markkinen necessarily taking six three-pointers a game. If he can do it at a higher clip than 36% this year, then fi- that's fine with me. But still, I don't think I need him taking that many threes. I'd rather see it more efficiently. And I think Lowry Markkinen, like I said, I think the one biggest thing as far as his offensive game goes, and I don't even really think there's that much polishing needed on his offensive game, is to be able to bang bodies down low and not be afraid down there and prove that, you know what, I can kill you inside or I can kill you outside. So I guess my question to you is, if you had to pinpoint one thing offensively, one thing defensively for Lowry Markkinen to improve on this year, what would they be? Well, so starting with the defense, to me, the big question is, can he actually play some real minutes at the five if Hoiberg wants to experiment with that? Whether it's you know going small and shifting Levine to the three and and Parker to the four, which I think you know I've made my point clear that I think that's where he fits better than the three in today's NBA. But when we did see small glimpses of playing Markinen at the five last season, whether it was you know Portis at the four or whoever else, he defensively got cooked as a center. And I think that's part of the reason why you saw him add to his frame and add some muscle this offseason because I think that, and this is something you and I talked about earlier this week, Fred Hoiberg and the front office are thinking long-term, maybe they want to see Markkinen play real minutes at the five and develop his game into into a guy who you can use at both of those spots equally. And he, and he can be equally efficient on both ends at the four and at the five. I think you and I are both skeptical right now and and believe he is more suited to be a perfect stretch four than a five, but you're still going to see the Bulls try to give him some minutes there. So defensively, it's can he actually guard dominant offensive centers in this league? Um, offensively, it kind of you know goes in, in in line with what you were just saying, and Markkinen said it himself. He doesn't want to just be a seven foot three point shooter. I I, I think I want to see him develop a bit more ball handling skills we saw him put the ball on the floor at times last season in a way where he saw a quick mismatch out like you know right around the top of the key or on the elbow wherever it was and he could burn a guy and get to the bucket for an easy layup or you know a a monster dunk and it was great to see those moments but can he actually be another facilitator if all of a sudden you have Markkinen being a guy whose ball handling skills are top tier 
and he can have himself sort of like a, you know, and this comparison is just for the sake of a seven-footer who can put the ball on the floor, a Kevin Durant kind of skill with that size, then the versatility of this Bulls offense just blows up um, in, in a good way, blows up in a good way, so to speak. So to me, it's about developing those different aspects of his game offensively. Can he become an efficient scorer in the post? Can he become a strong finisher in the post with both hands working from both sides of the block? And can he become a better ball handler? Offensively, that's what I want to see from Markin in this year. Yeah, and I think things are going to get spread out for Mark. I think I legitimately think with the success that Maury Markinen had last year, adding a healthy Zach Levine, adding hopefully a healthy Jabari Parker to this roster. And I'm hoping Wendell Carter Jr. beats out Robin Lopez relatively early this this season and gets legitimate starting minutes. All of that, to me, I think is going to spread things out for Lowry Markkinen. And maybe I'm just looking at the optimism of this team and not the realism of this team so far. But looking at Lowry Markkinen putting the ball on the floor offensively is is probably our best bet here as far as developing some part of his game. Uh, add that to working the inside a little bit more and like you said I think you said this either yesterday or two days ago that right now as it currently stands you would rather see Markin play the four than the five and I think his idea and it looks like sounds like Fred Hoiberg likes the idea of him playing the five as well I just question whether or not what that does for Wendell Carter Jr.'s value and I know maybe that's a couple years down the road I think the one thing defensively that I would like to see Lowry Markin get better at is being a shot blocker and maybe that's going to be be helped out by guys like Wendell Carter Jr. if they're playing alongside each other. Um, I'd like to see him better be a better shot blocker, a better rim protector. Around, um, and if he can do that between him and Carter around the rim, that would be a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch. So I think those two things I think I'm looking at. And then offensively, I think being a better screener, working the pick and roll, working the pick and pop with not only you've got three guys, three guys that you can work the pick and pop and pick and roll with now that are competent. Chris Dunn, mm-hmm. Zach Levine, yeah. and Jabari Parker. Last year, look at the guys that Lowry Markinen had to work with with running those options. Justin Holiday, Chris Dunn, yeah. which at times it worked. And and really, like he he and Wendell can also do some interesting things, you know, using like a two man screener game, you know, closer to the baseline at in some instances. Because that's a lot we've seen a lot of that in the NBA recently, where your two front court guys are setting screens for each other along the baseline. Like I mean, that was one of the Cavs bread and butter plays in the playoffs with Kevin Love you know you set, set a baseline screen for one of your bigs have the other big set the screen whatever whatever and and find open looks that way so it's really there there could be four guys around marketing where you're playing different elements of the screen game yeah and marketing had such good success with doing the whole big on big pick and roll pick and pop last year him and Robin Lopez did it a ton him and Bobby Portis did it a ton last year so I'm excited like especially if Wendell Carter Jr. can knock down the three consistently, if that translates this season, we could be looking at two guys that can not only shoot, but run these competent pick and roll, pick and pop styles. You have all four four guys around Lowry Markin in that starting lineup that I think you can find effective ways to run this. So offensively, like I know he can shoot. I know he can score. So I'd like to work, see if him if he can actually legitimately work on screening guys and finding ways to get open on pick and pops and pick and rolls and sort of dominate on switches. I think that to me would be the biggest improvement of Lowry Markin's game offensively. And like I said, it, it might not come this year, but I'd like to see improvements as a shot blocker and a rim protector from Lowry Markin as well uh, and yeah and also I would add to that knowing when to when to be the the big who comes over and helps off the weak side because we saw instances last season where you saw Markinen's lateral quickness coming over to help and at least if not block a shot at least contest a shot and and we all said oh wow like his his reaction time on defense is not as bad as we were fearing it would be based on what everybody was saying about him coming into the draft and doing all that draft player analysis it's better than advertised, but can still improve. And so obviously you're going to have Wendell Carter Jr., uh, assuming eventually he does win that starting spot from Rolo, doing a lot of the dirty work and also being a great help defender in his own right for contestant shot blocks. If he and Markinen can develop those skills together and ha- really develop a defensive chemistry of those as those two guys, as knowing when to you know, be the one who goes out you know, towards the perimeter to take the defender one-on-one, and they're switching. Their switching is going to be crucial with Markkinen and, and really this entire Bulls team. Because 
over the past several seasons, the Bulls have not been a team that does a lot of switching defensively, but you look at where the NBA is going, and and especially once you get into playoff games and you're playing the same team in a best-of-seven uh, best series over and over and over, everybody's switching. Everybody's switching on defense in the NBA these days, and the Bulls, when they have tried to do it, have not done it very well. And that goes back to one of my other concerns about Jabari and his uh, his buddy Zach Levine, who are going to be a headache on the defensive end. So if Markinen and Carter Jr. can at least develop some kind of chemistry on that defensive end as the two bigs, um, you know, in 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 your group of five defensively, that will help because defensive switching for this Bulls team is going to be a nightmare. Somebody needs to step up. We got to take a short break here on Locked on Bulls. When we come back, we're taking some of your excess questions from yesterday's mailbag. We've got a voicemail as well we will play. So you can hit us up, 331-979-1369. Your text messages and voicemails there. Be right back here on Locked on Bulls. Stay right here with us. Hey guys, this is Eli again down in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, long story short, here's uh, what I want to hear you guys chat about. Um, basically, in any big business, in any organization, in uh, kind of the capitalistic America that we live in today, it seems like the bottom line for the company is much more important than the quality of the product. And if you look at the NBA, it really just is a, you know, it's just a, a bunch of a conglomeration of big businesses within the teams. So you get different uh, different people up at the top of these organizations, and I think their uh, their attitudes kind of trickle down through the organization. So looking back, I think the main problem, honestly, starts with our ownership in the Reinsdorf family, and that, as a fan, is disheartening because there's nothing you can really do about that until the family decides to sell the team away. So um, I guess my main question to you guys is, as a Bulls fan, um, what what kind of attitude do you think is is prevalent amongst Bulls fans across the fan base? Given that uh, you know it appears with some of these moves like picking up Parker, um, never able to get any main free agents, never going into the luxury tax despite our uh, league high in attendance most years, the games. Obviously, the Bulls are doing financially well, but the Reinsdorf family doesn't want to go that extra mile and spend that money. So. Um, I'm just curious as to what you guys think, um, if there is even really a path to championship contention um, based on what we've already done and uh, based on uh, the Reinsdorf family's history of uh, really lack of willingness to uh, go out there and spend big money like teams like the Rockets or the Warriors do. Uh, it seems like you kind of have to do that to be a contender to me, but uh, I just wanted to let you guys know I think. Love the show, and uh, yep, uh, have a great day. Thanks for checking in. That's Eli down in Evansville, Indiana. Um, Eli brings up an interesting point, and I think it's one that might not be as popular as just the generic hashtag Firegar Paxers that think that that is where the, the main problem lies with this Bulls organization right now, that it's not an ownership problem. It's the fact that ownership... If, if it is an ownership problem, it's that ownership has too much faith in this front office and have allowed them to do these jobs for too long now. There are others who see the problem at the top, and I think that's kind of what Eli's talking about, uh, this sense that really the big the, the problem starts up in ownership and trickles down through all of the other facets of this organization in that the Bulls ownership group of the Reinsdorf family are one of many in professional sports that, that care about profitability, and they care about that more than they care about winning championships and at least contending for championships. Look... I, I, I see where you're coming from, and I think that there is some truth to that. It's not like Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't care at all about winning. Obviously, the guy's competitive. He owns two major professional sports franchises and has seven championships between the two of them. And he cares about winning. And so does his son, Michael. I do think there is some truth to the fact that, hey, if the Bulls are at least relevant and the United Center is still one of the most packed houses in all of NBA basketball, which it was again last season in a tanking season, and they are still one of the most profitable teams across the league when it comes to selling jerseys and selling merchandise, which again, they were in a tanking season last season. They fell to seventh from fourth the prior season, but they were still seventh for a tanking team. They do care about that. Um, 
I don't know if, if you can say they care about it more than winning, but they care about it enough that if they're not contending for championships, but at least kind of relevant and going back to the playoffs again this year, their their main spokesperson and their VP of basketball ops, John Paxson, basically is channeling the thoughts of the Reinsdorf ownership group when he's saying at, at the end of last season going into this one, we're done tanking, we want to be competitive again. That, because that's what the Reinsdorfs want. And so that's what Paxson wants because he wants to make them happy. Um, and and as, as far as the fan base, you know, pick and choose what you're more upset about. The, the front office making missteps, whether it be trades or, in your opinion, draft misses or failing to land free agents. Or if you're more upset with this ownership group and want this ownership group gone. Uh, I think it's kind of a it, – it's not an even spread. I think more people in Bulls Nation would like to see the front office go than the ownership group go. But I have I have my problems with this ownership group. I would love to see a change in ownership from this Bulls organization. I don't know about you, Jordan. I think the one thing that gets kind of misconstrued with all of this, and you can certainly make all of the points about how you may feel like ownership is cheap, the the selling of the picks, whatever you want to go down the list of. It, most Bulls fans know that that list from now on. To me, I think it gets misunderstood at times. Like, I go back to 2010. You know, even though they, they missed on hitting on LeBron James, Chris Bosh, uh, Dwayne Wade, they set themselves up to be able to spend that money, right? So, to me, I think the the push from ownership is you got to prove to us on the court that it's worth spending the money on these players. Are you at a point where this is going to work for a long time? In a long time, I mean like three, five years. And I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf or the Reinsdorf family in general wants to spend money on a team that might be mediocre at, at whatever, the fifth seed to the eighth seed in the East. And I think that's partly on the front office too to prove to ownership that this team is worth spending money on. And they'll do it. Like like I said, 2010, they opened up two max contracts to try and bring in LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. It didn't work out, but they had the money available to do that. Uh, back when they were going to do a sign-in trade for Carmelo in 2014, and thank God that didn't work out, but they were there. They were available, and Carmelo decided to go other places. So I think there is something to say about ownership saying that they will spend money but at what point do they say finally go ahead and pull the trigger let's open up this let's open up the vault and spend the money and see if we can get competitive i think that's partly on the front office and it's partly on the players as, as well to convince Ryan, Jerry Reinsdorf and Michael Reinsdorf to say, hey, you know what? It's worth going into the luxury tax. It's worth paying a guy somewhere between 35 and $40 million per year on a max contract because we believe this team is special and they can win. We felt like that about the, the Derrick Rose Bulls teams. You know, we talk about between 2010 and 2014-15. Like, all of us Bulls fans and even the front office believed that and, they, and the Reinsdorfs believed that as well. So I'm not defending them 100%, but I also think there is... Uh, um, something to say about the Reinsdorf's willing to, willingness to spend money on this team. And there's also so, something to say about their cheapness when this team goes south. So I can see it from both sides. I don't know if I land on either one of them. Um, but I just wanted to bring the opportunity there that the Reinsdorf's are willing to spend the money. It's just about proving whether or not this team is actually legitimate or not. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, that's one of those kind of double-edged swords where you can't necessarily have it both ways if you're a, a, a complaining fan of of this organization and claim well that you know like they uh, they don't spend money as you were kind of highlighting there jordan they've certainly been been trying in in recent years to go out and and land those big name splash free agents and pay them handsomely they were they were trying to trade the wall dang to free up enough money to basically give max deals to wade bosch and braun they they were close to making that happen and they were ready to spend you all that money to get all those guys to come play with Derrick Rose it just didn't pan out and they overpaid Carlos Boozer because they had lots of money to spend they you know recently were willing to offer big money to Melo as you highlighted didn't pan out now the matching for Levine and then throwing 20 million at Parker is the most recent example of well the Bulls weren't really trying to go out there and be big players of free agency this season but they had the money to match Levine so they did and they had money to go out and, and take a big swing on a high-risk, high-reward player like Jabari. So they did. They're not afraid to spend money. And don't you dare come back and be like, well, they traded a tra draft pick for $3.5 That is pennies. That is fractions of pennies to the Reinsdorf family. That means nothing. $3.5 That does not mean that they value money more than they value basketball. 
So, I mean, that to me is a ridiculous argument. But there is something to be said about them being okay, being good and relevant enough while spending under the luxury tax in amount of dollars to their players to be relevant but not championship contenders. There is truth to that. I think the more concern that I have with the inner workings of the front office and the ownership is this whole family business idea. And like there's a million connections you can make between John Pax and Gar Foreman, um, Michael Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf, like Bulls blogger has, has demonstrated this over years of time of just finding connections of inner workings in the business of the Bulls. And that would be my more concern than anything else. Like the the latest example that was brought up was why all of a sudden Raleigh Atkins got signed to a two way deal. Yeah, we brought up the obvious that he played pretty decent in summer league. Um, didn't showcase anything really of greatness in college in his two years. But the connection at Arizona is clear. The head coach of the Windy City Bulls actually worked under Sean Miller at Arizona before taking this job with the G League team. Michael Reinsdorf is also an alumni of Arizona. So there's connections there. You know, we make the Iowa State connection in that joke all the time about Gar Foreman, Tim uh, about Tim Floyd. But uh, there is something to say about inner workings, too, as far as like that Arizona timeline goes, too. Think about it like the Bulls took Lowry Markinen too. Arizona grad as well. Well, um, it's not a ton to buy into, but I think if I was worried about something as far as inner workings go, it's that the Bulls heavily rely on friends and family and connections that they have to bring in players that maybe are getting pitched to them and not necessarily always the best move for the franchise moving forward. And that's not to say Riley Atkins is a bad player at all, because I think that's a fantastic move and it worked out in our favor this time, but you've seen it. It hasn't worked out in the past. Like you can talk about the connections that are made to the campaign trade and why they were so in love with him, because there's a bunch of connections there stemming back from friends and scouts and people that are connecting to Gar Foreman. Um, So, that to me I think is my biggest worry over spending money or having the money available because I think there is opportunity and they've said multiple times if they're in a position where they feel like they can win and be special they're willing to spend the money yeah I, th- I think I'm with you there uh all right let's let's take a, a text and then wrap things up uh this one comes from the 630 what up 630 that's me too um me too hey guys uh so this is like a, a three-pronged question How many wins for the Bulls this season? Will Fred get fired if they don't make the playoffs? I'm predicting a playoff spot possibly as high as fourth seed. Let me let me get the number for your weed guy because you're out of your mind. (laughs) Um, And any any Bulls making the all star team. So, um, Jordan, first first one for you. Give me a. You know, rough estimate over under win total for the Bulls. Uh, I'm going between 30 and 35 wins. Yeah. I think I'm right there with you. I might push that to like 32 to 37. Um, you know, I I I think if they make a 10 win improvement on last year and end up, you know, 37 and and 42, that I that would be them doing on the better end of what I expect from them this year. And even in a week east, uh for that follow-up question about the playoffs, I don't think the Bulls are making the playoffs, even if they go 37 and 42. I don't think the East is going to be that bad. Yeah, I was trying to go through the teams yesterday of saying, okay, where do the Bulls lay as far as the new outlook of the East? And people talk about like the East not being like star heavy, but still, I think there's probably seven teams in that Eastern Conference that are better than the Bulls right now. Oh, easily. And then there's easily. then there's a handful of teams, whether or not this Bulls team stays healthy, and we there's a lot of unknowns of this team so far. But like they could hang around with teams like the Pistons and the Hornets, teams that are sort of fringe, like eight to 11 seeds in the Eastern Conference, depending on what happens and who plays well. So I think that's where the Bulls are going to fall. But ultimately, I would assume that we're going to see maybe an injury just happens every year in the NBA. There's going to be some stretch of an injury or something happen. Um, That's why I'm kind of tempering these expectations, especially with two guys with ACL injuries. There could be something that comes up with that. That's why I'm kind of looking at like 30 to 35 wins. And I even would be willing to push it to, like you said, 37 wins if 
everything is starting to go right. And I think that would be fan- like if we're talking about a major improvement going from 27 to 37 wins in a year's time with the amount of rookies and the amount of young players that you have. Yeah, I think is that's that's great. And I mean, like if you just go down the list, here's how the East shook out this past season. Toronto, Boston, Philly, Cleveland, Indiana, Miami, Milwaukee, Washington, top eight. Um Obviously, if Kawhi's healthy, the Raptors are not going anywhere. They're going to be in the top four. Boston, East favorite. Philly, right there, is probably a top four seed. Cleveland's going to obviously take a step back without LeBron. They just signed Kevin Love to that huge extension. I still can see them as a playoff team next year. Indy, absolutely going to be there. Miami, they're always there. Spoke and get enough to get those guys in the playoffs. Milwaukee, still got Giannis. Yup, they're going to be there. Washington, still got Wall and Beal. Just added Dwight Howard, which is hilarious. Yup, they're going to be there. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't see the Bulls cracking any of those teams out of the top eight. And even if they do, to suggest top four, like, I love your optimism, buddy, but you're out of your freaking mind. Yeah, if we're talking about the Bulls being a top four team in the East, that would mean, like, one, two of the three players would become all stars next year. That's Lowry, Marketing, Parker, or Levine. Like we're talking about that, then I think we're in a completely and, different conversation. And there you go, because that was the final part of this texter's question: Any Bulls making the All Star team? No, I'm going to say no. If if anyone, give me most likely. Uh, marketing is it is it is it marketing for you? Because I think it's marketing for me. And maybe I would I would probably go second bet as far as ceiling goes and overall. I would probably go Parker second. Yeah, over Levine? Yeah, I would probably say Parker probably edges Levine a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's it's close. Like, you're splitting hairs there. Yeah. But, but to me, and this goes back to our conversation from earlier, I feel less confident about saying Markkinen has all-star potential this upcoming season now that Parker's here. If Parker wasn't here and Markkinen was going to be with trying to build that chemistry with Dunn and Levine, the primary offensive focus... I feel greater about his odds of making the all-star team. With Parker, I still think Markkanen is the most likely to make an all-star nod this season, but it's less likely now that Parker's here, and I don't like that. One of the questions we didn't get to in this text was, uh, we didn't answer, is will Fred Hoiberg get fired if they don't make the playoffs? Ah, this is perhaps the most interesting piece of this multi-question uh, text. To me, it is possible, but not a certainty. I think if the bull, if the East is better than people expect, and the Bulls go as we were saying somewhere just a shade under five hundred, let's say thirty-seven and forty-two, and they miss out on the playoffs and end up in the lottery as the team that finishes ninth or tenth in the East, but they still see some what's that magic phrase? Player development from Fred this year, and he actually has some moments where he gets all these guys to buy in and play his style of basketball. I think maybe the Bulls let him finish out that contract. But if it's worse than that and there isn't a big jump in wins and the player development doesn't happen, then I think he's gone. I think the player development is the the single biggest thing for Fred Hoiberg this year. Even if the like like I said, I think even if the Bulls end up being a 33 to 37 win team or whatever, like even a couple more wins than that. I think the most important thing is you see another jump in Lowry Markin and you see Chris Dunn play really well and he's fitting into this system. You see Levine come back healthy, stay healthy and is consistent. And then whatever they get out of Parker this season and whatever they get out of Wendell Carter Jr. this season, I think is only gravy for Fred Hoiberg. I think you're still your main focus should be on those three guys, Chris Dunn, Lowry Markin and Zach Levine. As much as I want there to be a focus on Wendell Carter Jr., I don't think there is going to be early on until Robin Lopez leaves this team. I still think that Wendell Carter Jr. is going to have to learn some stuff this in this league, and I think Bulls fans should temper their expectations as much as I like what I see from Wendell Carter Jr. We got to remind ourselves he's still only 19 years old, and he's gonna have he's gonna have to take his lumps as a rookie this year. So I think. The most important thing for Fred Hoiberg this year is that he develops, once again, takes a step forward with Chris Dunn, Lowry Markin, and Zach Levine in your core. I think the only way Fred Hoiberg gets fired, man, is if they go under 27 wins, which was their notch last year. And that certainly could happen if somebody, one one or two players get hurt. I legitimately feel like he will live out his contract for another year. Because like I told you, 
I say I take what Fred Hoiberg has done last year and separate that from the first two years of his contract. Like I have to do that in order to see exactly what he is as a coach. No, that's fair. It's it's hard to judge Fred for the first two years when he was working the tail end of the Rose years and then the Jimmy Wade Rondo disaster. So I get that, that now this is really only his second year of figuring out, can he develop young talent? Um, But what we already learned from the first two years that he was in Chicago is that he can't handle established veteran talent and all-star talent, certainly from the ego and locker room goings-on perspective. He can't. Yeah. Right, I mean, maybe he can get better at it at some point in his coaching career, but right now, that is not a thing Fred Hoiberg can do. So, at some point in this rebuild, the Bulls are going to be ideally going from young player to talent that needs development to young core that's exciting and on their way to playoff contention. Can Fred continue to be the guy and handle all of that stuff moving forward? Does Fred get fired this upcoming season if the Bulls don't make the playoffs? Not necessarily. I think it's possible. But I think the bigger question is, are the Bulls going to give Hoiberg an extension once this rebuild is starting to get into phase two, which is this young talent has come together enough to be a team in a weak East that is making some playoffs? To me, that answer is no. I don't think that Fred is going to be their guy moving forward. Maybe he finishes out his fifth year. Maybe he doesn't. But I think he's gone after that. My only question to you is, Who's out there that you would want to hire? Like, who would be? Who else is on the hot seat around the NBA that you would say, okay, we're not going to extend Fred Hoiberg. We're going to go out and get this coach, ex coach, whoever it is. Because to me, like, I think I, I'm maybe I'm the only one sitting in this camp, or there are there are some other Bulls fans out there that are like me. I still think Fred Hoiberg's a good coach, and I think you brought up his biggest weakness is his ability to mesh and handle a locker room and also handle the ego of a superstar, and to me, being thrown into that and being your first two years as an NBA coach, you're you're still trying to develop yourself and grow as a coach, and to deal with that, I think I give Fred the benefit of the doubt there. It obviously doesn't look good, especially if you're trying to trade or sign a top-tier free agent superstar to come here. But I think that's something maybe that he chalked up to a learning experience and maybe the Bulls give him another shot if he really does develop these young guys the way that we want him to. So to me, I think the only way this is a complete dumpster fire of a season is if Fred Hoiberg goes back from 27 wins that this locker room has a total disaster. Parker and Levine or Markinen and Carter and all these guys just don't get along. Something has to go completely catastrophically wrong for me to feel like Fred Hoiberg would get fired after this season. And and this is something I actually I was just listening to the most recent uh, Bulls Talk podcast from NBC Sports. Uh, they had our friend Casey Johnson on in their most recent episode. And that's something Casey said that I thought was interesting and I agree with. Basically, at some point this season, he and his fellow beat writers are going to be writing about somebody on that team not happy with the lack of touches they're getting offensively. It's going to happen at some point. How Fred deals with that is going to be a big test. And that's just one of the many facets to the there's a lot of pressure on Fred this season kind of idea. And that's something that I was writing about for Lockdown Bulls earlier this week. All of this pressure with with the asset accumulation and young talent accumulation that the Bulls have gone through since trading Jimmy, they're throwing all these pieces together and they're saying, all right, Fred, show us what you got. Young player development. Can you get this young core to play well together to a point where the Bulls are not a, a dumpster fire this season and back in the lottery? Because that's what they want to see from him. So at some point, there's going to be some kind of friction in the locker room because somebody's not getting enough shots. That's going to happen. How will Fred deal with it? Pressures on Fred. Definitely right there. And I think the other weakness that you can point out to the one thing that's made me frustrated about Fred Hoiberg. I don't know if this is totally on him, but it should be because this is what he's getting paid to do is his rotations last year that frustrated the hell out of me. And maybe it wasn't even it wasn't even just last year. It was in his first two years too. like we always were confused at times why he wasn't giving guys certain opportunities, why he wasn't giving guys chances here and there when things weren't working. Um, So that would be another biggest weakness for Fred Hoiberg's style in his game. But like, look. He brought a pretty, pretty terrible Bulls team to 27 wins last year. And I know that's a lot on the back of uh, Nikola Mirotic just shooting absolutely out of his mind for a month and a half. 
But uh, I still look at that, too. That's like a positive for Fred Hoiberg as well. But I think there's going to be a tremendous pressure on here. Just to close out the show, Matt, I wanted to read you one of my favorite parts of the Zach Lowe piece to finish out. Uh, This is from last year. He says... Three days later against the Pistons, Markkanen missed an open three-pointer that would would have given Chicago the lead with 110 to go. The rebound ricocheted out of bounds off a thicket of hands. As referees reviewed which team should get the ball, Fred Hoiberg drew up a play. He heard Markkanen apologizing to teammates. I have to make that shot. Hoiberg erased his play and drew up a new one for Markkanen. He said, Coach, Markkanen said, I'm going to make it. The two recall. He nailed the game winner. He, it didn't surprise Markin and nothing about his all rookie season did. So that was one of my favorites is like, OK, uh, Lowry Markin came in after a shot late in the game. They he was like, I'm sorry, I should have made that shot. And Fred Hoiberg's like, you know what? Screw it. Let's go back to you. I want you to I know you can make this shot. I've got confidence in you. And I think that's one of my one of the things to watch this year is how Fred Hoiberg used, uses Lowry Markin and. Because the things that I've heard from Fred Hoiberg as far as the way he talks about Lowry Markkinen is so different from any other player on this team. And I'm very interested in seeing how he uses him as a tool to not only boost Lowry Markkinen, but also boost Fred Hoiberg's intelligence as a coach. Well, as much as I poke fun of him uh, at times, Fred's no dummy. He knows that Markkinen has the highest potential ceiling of any player on his roster right now. So... If there are certain moments next uh, this upcoming season when Fred's got to decide, all right, who gets that last shot, you know, which is always a big talking point, and sometimes you know that's what like Wade and Butler called out uh, Zipser, Paul Zipser, who were high on in the disastrous A3 Alpha season for doing something similar in the locker room after a game. Like, hey, you got to be willing if you're going to take that shot, you got to have put in the work and and done that before and and know that you're going to make that shot. That's going to be an interesting thing too this season. Who does he draw plays up for to be, all right, it's late in the fourth quarter. I need a bucket. We need a bucket. Who's getting the ball? I want it to be Markkinen. I really, really do. And now there's going to be a very interesting dilemma on Fred's hands of, you know, maybe maybe he can do some some trickery kind of stuff. And it, it could be Jabari. It could be Levine. Heck, even when Chris Dunn was playing well in December and early January last season, he was hitting big shots late in games. Uh, and he's not really a shooter. So Fred's got options there, but I want number option number one um, to be marketing. And I, I, I'm with you. I love that anecdote from that low column. Well, that's good about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Once again, you can follow us on social media at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Bulls. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com, and the Dash Radio app. I'm the Nothing But Nut channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern at 9 a.m. Central Time. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. Hit us up with all your text messages, your questions, your voicemails. We'd love to hear from you. Interact with the show wherever you're listening to the show, whenever you listen to the show. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow to drive you into the weekend. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. What's up? Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.